Shall we do this? Let's get going. Let's see what happens. All right. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of Coffees and Cocktails, Workplace Culture Fails. Hopefully, you've got your coffee or your cocktail for this international chat. We are coming at you live from happy hour in London and morning brews and views in San Francisco. So what are you uh, drinking today, Jeff? So I, I did go to Safeway yesterday. Well, it's Andronico's and Inner Sunset. I'm going to give a plug for that, which is a Safeway brand. Shop local. And, yeah. And I did look at where there's some other options. Because remember last week we were talking about Intelligentsia and I really like that. And do I want to shop a little bit closer to home? Um, and it's, but I just, I went for the black cat espresso again. I need to like break out of the boundaries, but I was going to ask you now that I've moved to like whole bean barista in my morning as part of my pandemic ritual, do you and Liam have an espresso or are you guys in, uh, are you, are you a whole bean family? We're a whole bean family and we're an AeroPress family now. Thanks oh, to that's right. Another partner in our partnership. Yep. We love the like no technology required except to grind our beans and boil our kettle. We press our own espresso now. Yeah. Exceptional. Okay. Mm -hmm. And have you noticed a change in your, in the quality of your cat? Yeah. Huge. And when I don't let the water sit long enough and it's too hot, Liam can taste it. He says this water's too hot. He's, he knows, he knows. I mean, he does have a finely refined palate. So I see how that works. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and what are you drinking today? What if, uh, as it is happy hour in your in your neck of the transatlantic woods? It is. I have just picked a sprig of rosemary from my garden to put in my non-alcoholic cocktail. Actually, I've got this bottle of Pentire, which I learned is a, a region here in England on in okay. Cornwall, and it's basically a, a botanical non-alcoholic spirit. So it sort of tastes like gin. So I'm doing a bit of a gin and tonic with some fever tree. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's a really nice non-alcoholic gin and tonic, basically. Okay, well, that will link in well to our cocktail at the end of the show today. But yeah, interesting. And because you did dry January pretty much, didn't you? Which you are a stronger human than anyone I know to have done dry January in a pandemic. Have you, is this just, is you were just feeling today, you weren't feeling the gin, you went for the for the pen, pen drip, pen drip, pen drip. Pentire. Um, Pentire. Yes, it's a leftover from dry Jan. So I've got like half the bottle left. Yeah. Um, I have not done my workout yet. So I'm going to be doing that after this. So I wanted to Strong. keep yeah. a cocktail Strong. for later. Good. Okay. Well, you know what we're drinking, but who are we? So we're your hosts. My name's Anique Coffee. Yes, that's really my last name. And we've got Jeff Melnick with us too. We're both partners at Within People. We're just two international growth strategists out here trying to help leaders avoid the pitfalls when designing your workplace culture. And we have got a show for you today. Last week, we spoke about um, one of the fails from the U.S. around Amazon. So we wanted to touch base with that one and check in with you again. I think you've got a bit of an update for us, Jeff. Yeah, I'm just going to give a quick update on that. So last week, obviously, the hot topic was Amazon versus the unions. Um, I made a comment that I didn't think that Jeff Bezos was going to necessarily do anything off the back of it. But let's see what happened, because I think uh, the fail last week was not you know, that the unions lost or that Amazon won, but rather how is Amazon really understanding what its culture means? So obviously Jeff was listening to our show because uh, (laughs) he has responded in his own Bezos way. He's written a letter um, and he said that um, Amazon is going to be the earth's 
best employer and Earth's safest place to work. So there's a couple things here. Earth's, like not the world's, but Earth's. So like, is this because we're thinking about when we move to Mars, right? When, When Elon gets us all to Mars and Amazon is on Mars, that we're gonna discount Mars as being the best, like the best employer on Mars and, and safest place to work on Mars. Like I'm just worried, worried that that's the strategy. That's number one. Number two is Amazon is customer obsessed. That is their mantra. Now, whether or not that's true, I think we can debate not for this show. But the question I'm holding is, can you be both employee obsessed and customer obsessed. And one question that I always ask CEOs, especially when we're working in hospitality, as you know, we've done so much lovely work on or in a consumer brand is, you know, are you a customer first business or an employee first business? Like that's a question we ask. And it really throws executives off the mark because they're like, well, of course, for customer obsessed, oh, yes, we really, really care about our employees. I'm like, you kind of got to start somewhere. Where's your nexus? Is it your people or is it your customer? And, you know, the work that we did with One and Only Resorts was really to gravitate them around their purpose of creating joy. And one frame that they put around that, that through that executive discussion landed with them was when we create joy for our people, we create joy for our guests. And I think Jeffrey, if I may refer to him by that, uh, (laughs) Mr. Bezos is going to have to make a choice. Are you going to put your people first so that you become customer obsessed or are you just going to stay customer obsessed? And there's lots of brands out there that would say, yeah, we're going to focus on our customer, our stakeholders, and that's where we put our energy. But I don't think it can be both. I think it's a value chain that you need to do. So um, obviously, Jeff will pick up on that uh, this week. Um, and let's see where he comes back to. But yeah, just interesting to note that that was in the ether. Yeah, very good to know. And my question back to you, since we're talking all about helping the leaders design this, what is your advice in those situations then? When I, I mean, questions of CEO? yeah, I think it, it is about getting down to how, where do we put our focus and our energy and how do we use our culture for, you know, to, for the benefit of, of, of all of our stakeholders. And I think, you know, looking at the pushback that Amazon had was all around, you know, are you actually taking care of your people? Is your claim of your $15 minimum wage good enough? Is there safety in your, in your um, places to work? So, so I think it is getting, you know, if we were to sit down with Amazon executives, it would be to go, how can, what does being employee obsessed mean and how does that help drive customer obsession like can we work with those two things in tandem and get them to see the value chain there and the benefit of the shifts that they might make um, through their culture yeah good advice i think one of the things around the culture that you touched on that i really like is around that purpose that plays it's do it plays both in the business and outside the business so like guiding with your purpose, it works for your people and your customers. Right. How can you yeah. use that cultural tool to address both audiences in a way? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Awesome. Okay, thanks for the update. And I'm going to take over from, from one for this month or for this week. We, um, I'm here in the UK. I'm an American, but I do live here in London. And one of the things that I found really interesting is an article around the UK having a lot of work to do to foster inclusive work environments because the UK is so diverse. So um, we've got a lot of holidays. We recently had the Easter bank holiday. 
Jewish folks have celebrated Passover, we've had Ramadan. And so this variety of kind of religious celebrations happening here in April is just this really cool symbol of how diverse the U.S. is. And so we've been having a lot of conversations around DEI and how can we create, you know, equitable, inclusive, connected cultures with our clients. And, um, you know, I don't, there's a lot of fails that were in this article. Maybe it's not helpful <laughs> the fails. But I guess the question and conversation I'd like to have and some guidance maybe we can provide some of our leaders is how do we create inclusive workplace where everyone can thrive? And go for it. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it, uh, the, I mean, I have someone who's recently uh, left the UK, um, was watching uh, the, the sort of story unfold from the, the government report around like, no, the UK isn't systemically racist. And yes, we are a diverse right. place to live, which, of course, sponsored by the Conservative Party, which from a, a, a has a leader who I would say has deep systemic racism built into every part of Boris the Feffel Johnson's DNA. Um, so, so it's interesting to think, like from a cultural point of view, um, what does does the UK understand DEI first and foremost? And and you know, living in London is such a privilege because you really have one of the most cosmopolitan cities, and really people working together, thriving together. Like I, when I moved to London, I was like, oh my gosh, I've met so many people from around the world and I'm working with them and I'm learning from them. Like I didn't even know what Islam was until I moved to the UK as a young child because in Canada, I'd never come mm. into contact with that before. And I, and, I, and I was working with a guy and he gave me a copy of the Quran and I tried to read it, <laughs> you know? And so you really are privileged in London, leave zone two and hello, you know, the, the life is not as diverse. So, so as a workplace, how do workplaces in the UK really start to understand what DEI is and, and champion it and understand what it means in a system that's so class oriented as well? I mean, yeah. what did you, when you moved to the UK, what was your, how did you start to understand the subtleties of the UK class system? I still don't know if I do understand that, if I'm honest. I think one of the biggest things that kind of slapped me in the face when I came here was recognizing my privilege and okay. noticing like how diverse it was, feeling like absolutely loving the diversity, wanting to celebrate that, wanting to celebrate others' cultures and their diversity and just recognizing my privilege. And still like, you know, I'm an American living over here, this connection with Black Lives Matters for the last year and yeah. really thinking like, it's been a big exploration for me. Like what is happening here in the UK from a DEI perspective? What does racism look like here? Because all of my work has really been around American history in that area. Yeah. Um, so I honestly can't answer your question. I don't know. I think I'm just <laughs> really aware, building a lot of self-awareness around my own privilege and what that looks like here and trying yeah. to have these conversations. Yeah. I, my own I mean, it's, it's really great because all of our UK clients are really starting to plug into this discussion yeah. in, a, in a great way. And I remember, you know, years ago in my consulting, beginning of my consulting career, when we were talking to one brand about diversity and inclusion in the context of their social activism. Um, and they were like, well, we're, we're a really diverse company because we've got a lot of nationalities. And I was like, mm, yeah, that that's not really diversity. Like, do you really understand the complexity of the makeup of your organization? And can we just notice that we're sitting in your boardroom 
and you're all white men of a certain age. And it was, I might as well have said that to them in Greek because they didn't really see that that was a problem, you know, and that was 10 years ago. So, you know, things are, things are moving on, but I think, I think it's interesting in the, 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 the fail from a workplace fail would be not to understand the value of DEI and what it means yes. to you. I really feel like our UK clients are really stepping into that now. And there's so much to learn around that, isn't that? I mean, as a partnership, we've even just been on our own DEI journey and I've been uncovering how much there is to learn. So we, we know firsthand that it's not, it's not an easy thing. No, you know, and it doesn't, to... no, and it doesn't stand alone. I mean, our, yeah. our kind of advice for leaders on our, our call here today our clubhouse today is looking at it, your culture from a holistic perspective. DEI is a lens at which, in which you look through. It should be part of your, you know, flexible, connected culture in the first place and not something that is just kind of standalone. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. and I think, and I think let's hope to see some of that um, throughout all, you know, our American clients as well and seeing how that starts to integrate um, it's a really exciting time. I know it's a very traumatic time, you know, especially here in the U.S. with the mm -hmm. with the verdict uh, yesterday. I think everybody yeah. breathed a sigh of relief. Wonderful to see a leader stand up with Joe Biden and say, like, you know, this is the start of justice. This was accountability. This was, you know, just something starting. Can you imagine the former president having said no. anything yesterday? No. So, so really, the role of leaders to play and, and showing how committed they are to this change is, is something that has to be happening at all levels. And, and we want to see that in, in the workplace. First yeah. And, foremost, so. and I guess the output of that is when people feel like they're belong, heard, able to be themselves, productivity soars and commercial growth is connected. It's totally. Right. We know that. And I think we talked about last week about like the, you know, the, the culture of business around it was back to the Amazon discussion around, you know, if your business is a place where everybody can show up to be the best version of themselves, what a win that's going to be for them and for the business. And like, Absolutely. you kind of got to spell the business case out for DEI to leaders still. I'm sorry, we have to do that. It's the same when we had to spell it out for sustainability. That's just our life's work. We're going to have to be doing that. I think there's a lot of inspirational stuff around DEI that is very tangible very real as opposed to a lot of the environmental change that we need to see in the world which is still feeling for some people far away although i don't know why <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah bit of a no duh moment yeah yeah all right jeff's gonna go through the next fail of the week okay so two american articles caught my eye this week um and the first one was from HBR, Harvard Business Review, for those of you that are not linked into the acronym, um, uh, which was all around the pandemic has made work more siloed, which I thought, oh, that's interesting. Let's have a, let's bring that up. But meanwhile, Newsweek also led with a headline. I love New Newsweek's pivot into sort of more um, uh, more edgy uh, headlines. Yeah, there, yeah, some shock and awe. Theirs was employees balk at end to remote work, and then in quotes, going back to the office is stupid. Said <laughs> says Joe from DoorDash. Um, so so yeah. So so there's something there around. Obviously, we're in this space now around hybrid working or blended working, as um, as one of our clients called it, which I quite like. So this is the hot topic. I mean, we're going to be talking about this probably every week, but um, 
the the stat that pulled out of the Newsweek one, which is quite good, was 83% of CEOs want employees to return in person. Only 10% of employees want to come back full time. So we're going to have this flexibility issue. So to me, the fail here is not recognizing new ways of working that really, really work, not only for you as an individual, but for the business. Like we've basically mm -hmm. been in an incubator of change for the past year. Like you've had to do stuff. It's like everybody got put in a Petri dish and our culture is now being put to the test. How do we work together and how do we work together well? And so I think the first thing to understand is not everybody works in an office anyways. Right. So you've probably got people in your workforce who don't aren't always in the office. I mean, we've never had an office, but we work at home as within partners, but we're in our client's office or we're off trying to go to see them. We've got plenty of clients where like Amy's Kitchen, for example, where they have a head office, but they have their plant kitchens where everybody has had to go to work. And so there is a blended working there where you've got people in one site and people in another, and you've had to make that work anyway. So how have you started to understand the nuance of that? And what is the kind of ways of working that have worked for you in the past? And what are the new ways that you've noticed have been working as you've been stepping in through the pandemic? And so really it's like, where are the silos now? Where were they before? Um, and where are things working better? And what's the difference that made the difference? What were some of the changes that you've made? And can you sort of bank those and start to weave them into new ways of working? Um, I th I'm worried that people are gonna be like, oh, the pandemic is over. We've all been vaxxed up and we just get back to the office and we're going to try to make things go back to work. And it's just not going to work that way. But yeah, what do, what's uh, what's been coming up for you in this space? Have you? Yeah, been... it's really interesting because I, as you know, used to work at WeWork and I've been seeing tons of headlines about that. And my the stat I saw was 90% of people want to go back into the office. So I think for me, there's something really interesting there around listening to our people. Yeah. So like that is a pretty staggering difference, 83 versus 10%, like yeah. leaders versus employees. Like what is the listening? And I really like the question you asked there of like, where are the silos? Let's look at, dig a little deeper here. Like what is really going on for our people and what do our people want and listening, listening. Like, I wonder if there's a way like pulse surveys, however it works within your business, talk to your people and see what they want yeah. and adapt your ways of working to that. Because again, connected to, the last one, if people feel connected to where they are, how they're working, they're going to do better work. So I think it's up yeah. to leaders right now also to do a bit of listening, like where are the things that were like you mentioned, where's the difference, what's working well, what's not working well. Yeah, it's a, it's a perfect opportunity to look at your entire employee experience, not just flexibility. And I was really surprised with the HBR article because I've really noticed that in our clients, there hasn't been more silos. People have worked together in different ways. In fact, what we've seen with through our clients has been quite a lot of little mini restructurings going on to actually note how people can work together better. So the sort of mechanics of the way the business have been operating have been working to break down the silos. I think we've maybe felt really siloed, haven't yes. we? Because we've been on our own. Um, and obviously, oh, this was the other thing. The other thing that that struck me this week, which which we've all picked up on, was the um, Adam Grant word of the week of languishing. The pandemic has made us languish, um, and and I think that that may have made left left us feeling isolated, alone, and siloed. 
but what are the indicators in your business that you are more siloed? And I think why CEOs, why 83% of CEOs will want people back in the office is because they'll think that will break down the silos because break everybody's down. back in the same place. But come on, we've had silos since the start of everyone, <laughs> since yeah. the start of modern day office work. So you can have a silo of two people sitting next to each other. That's you know? right. So, so that's, that's right. not going to solve, right? No. And we've done a lot of work in the last year talking with our clients, this idea of like, lose the office, keep the culture. Yeah. And I think that's a really important thing to think about right now. Like what are the rituals within your culture that are keeping your people connected and giving them a sense of belonging that have nothing yeah. to do with place? Yeah, absolutely. And, and if you were to, to learn from where we've just been, the resilience in our culture, what have we done in order to really have people feeling connected? How did we open up communication lines? Did we share more information than ever before because people needed it because we didn't have those water cooler moments? All of those things are really great things that you can now bake into your culture as ways of feeling connected so that flexibility works better for you. Right. And what a wonderful, like what a wonderful opportunity that's going to be for your entire employee experience, but also for great collaboration, great productivity, great creativity. Right. So, mm -hmm. so if, if the employee of the future um, is going to look for the employee, well, the employee of today, because we know that there's going to be a, a little bit of a mass exodus coming our way as well um, of people wanting to change jobs. Yes. Maybe we'll cover that next week because I think there's a bit of a headline coming on that one. Um, people wanting to change jobs. So if you want to keep people or attract people based around being an employer that is flexible and connected, you're going to have to demonstrate that you trust people to work however they want, wherever, whenever, however, and in a way that shows to them that you're open and giving them the information they need so that those silos don't build up. And I think those are the, those are the, the cultures that are going to attract the best talent because people are going to want to work their own way. So flexibility isn't just about where, it's about how and when that we work um, and that sense of really feeling connected into the culture and the communication is strong. Then you're working at, at source to get rid of those silos. Fabulous. All right. Well, those are our fails for the week. The only thing left is the very important segment called cocktail of the week. So, okay. So we did, um, obviously we had the Stanley Tucci Negroni last week, which I hope, did you get a chance to try? Did you share the recipe with Liam? I, we have it. No. I want to try it. We've got, okay. we're going to do it for sure. <laughs> what, when you spoke about the addition of the balsamic vinegar to the Negroni to Liam, did he, was he disgusted by this? Did he? <laughs> he, no, he wasn't disgusted. He was curious. Yes, yeah. Intrigued. intrigued. Okay. Okay. So I thought for this week's cocktail, um, I was like, hmm, do we want to keep, do we want to ramp up to complexity as we go through our, our journey of, of coffees and cocktails or where am I going to go? And I thought, actually, let's get a sense of place going. So let's pick a cocktail that is signature of San Francisco. And next week we'll look for a cocktail that's signature of London and see if we can discuss. Now, did you know that the martini is a signature cocktail of San Francisco? I did know that. I love it. I mean, I, this, this was news to me when I moved here, but I'm, I'm very proud because I think, you know, the martini is the classic cocktail. So it, um, I mean, there's obviously everybody debates where cocktails come from, but the, as legend goes, um, it stems from the Occidental Hotel. And where, why I think this is also critical to coffees and culture 
is the Occidental used to be the place where business people, folk would go to talk about the news of the day in terms of politics and business. So what better cocktail than the classic martini? So how do you like yours, Anique? What's your martini of choice? Are you? With a twist, yeah, definitely. Okay, so so twist of lemon rather yes. than I than than going dirty with the olives and vodka over gin. And is that just because interesting that today you're drinking a gin substitute? But are you yes. a vin, gin or vodka girl? You can. I'm normally a out. vodka girl, and actually yeah. my go to cocktail go to cocktail of choice is a vodka water with lemon. Oh, yeah, very interesting. Okay. Well, I mean, I prefer gin. I used to be a vodka lover, but I feel, and I feel that was just in my DNA as a, as a Ukrainian. Um, but I've now pivoted more into the gin world and maybe that was influenced from my time in London. So it's interesting to think about like everybody likes theirs in a certain way, don't they? And, I, and there is no right way for the martini, but I think if you work on the sort of five to one ratio, you can get to close to what I think a bartender would say is what you need. So that would be one part dry vermouth and four to five parts of your gin. Now, stirring versus shaking, this is where we also get into, um, into some controversy. <laughs> and interesting that, of course, James Bond is shaken, not stirred, but I think most people rather prefer a stirred to shaken because when you shake, you've got to double sieve it out so you don't get any of those ice particles the way that the air interacts with the with the alcohol is much different. I much prefer a stir, and I'm totally with you. A twist and a zest of lemon is like the joy on that. So that's our cocktail of the week. How do you like yours is the question. Let's see if we can put that up on Instagram and see if we get any rebuttal. I've already had people tell me that my ratios are wrong. Um, <laughs> it's a personal choice. <laughs> fabulous well that's it folks thank you so much for joining our clubhouse chat and we'll continue to share culture fails from our backyards and help some of our leaders avoid the pitfalls um, when designing and guiding and leading your workplace culture thanks so much for joining us see you next week same thank place, you same time. coffee see you next week Cheers.